Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. This week, we're going to be talking about the intersection of zero-knowledge tech and DAOs. And these are topics that, at least initially, seem on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. DAOs are perceived as a social and economic tool, and zero-knowledge is on the opposite end of just pure math and cutting-edge science. But there's actually a lot of interesting work being done combining both and seeing what's possible. So there's no one better in crypto to talk about this than Lakshman. He is a member of Personi Labs. I'll let him describe what Personi does and some of the things they're thinking about. But I think it's safe to say that this is going to be a very fascinating conversation. So without further ado, welcome Lakshman. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to jump right into it, could you give a quick introduction of yourself and your background and what the inspiration behind Personi Labs was. I got into Ethereum and this broad space of things that I guess we call crypto or Web3 or something in 2017, 2018. Prior to that, I have long work history working on or at various Web2 startups, primarily building products with machine learning stuff. I think rather than talking much about that, I think people could find my public profile various places online and see the specifics. But I was always torn between deep research and product, empathizing with what people actually do and people want and how people use things, often ping pong between more research roles and more product roles since 2017. Initially got into Ethereum because it was the most interesting thing happening in the world. And I really appreciated the long-term thinking at places like the Ethereum Foundation. Initially, just as started as a hacker, built a lot of smart contracts, made a bunch of games, started screwing around at ZK around 2018, 2019. And around that time, also became close with folks at the Ethereum Foundation and started working on applied ZK stuff over there. 2019, 2020, shifted my attention over to protocol, the merge, beacon chain, staking, these types of things. And some more strategy type stuff. Funnily enough, it felt like many of the theses around applied ZK, ZK applications, time wasn't quite right to act on them. To be honest, I personally felt a little jaded. I was like, okay, well, I don't know if we can make something that is used yet. Interestingly enough, now it seems like the time is right. Since 2018, 2019, I think we've figured out some things that Ethereum is used for. And so we can make interesting ZK statements about those things. Last year, maybe a year and a half ago, left the Ethereum Foundation to do some exploration, figure out what's next, and met all these wonderful people who were kind of also interested in doing cool things with ZK. And Personi Labs is sort of born as, it's hard to say exactly when it started, but it's this continuous point in this lineage of ideas that is quite long and definitely by no means starts with maybe the people who got involved last year. A lot of these ideas were initially uncovered by people like Barry at the Ethereum Foundation, for example. Now quite excited, trying to bridge deep research and product and see what's on the other end. I can talk a little bit more about our thesis if that's helpful or go a different direction. Super helpful introduction on yourself and some of your interests. I think, yeah, it'd be helpful to go into the thesis a little bit. So for context, for listeners, on the Personi Labs website, there's an introductory post, which I'll let Lakshman describe it, but goes into some of their interests around social networks and cryptography and 
it's not a long piece, but I think it's quite thoughtful. So maybe Lakshman, if you want to just, just give a quick synthesis of that piece. And to be clear, this post is very much meant to be the 10, 20 year vision. And there's a lot of thinking that loops that back to, okay, what do we do today? We're big fans of speculative fiction and near singularity sci-fi. We were thinking a lot about how does society change when much more of what we experience as like early Ethereans, that is true for much more people. There's verifiable state that represents who you are. And also what seem like very far out and futuristic cryptographic primitives like zero-knowledge proofs. And we have a bunch of other things that we're interested in as well, homomorphic encryption, witness encryption. What happens when these things are available on a consumer device and you can make arbitrary statements about all of that verifiable state? That's a very abstract thing. Well, so Hey and Anon, which is one of our early products, is a source of some good examples. One thing that is true in this DAO called Nouns, who have also been on this podcast, is there are activities that are observable by everyone, i.e. they happen on chain, that kind of really matter in terms of determining someone's credibility and later making an action or saying something within the DAO. The coordination mechanisms, the context is all verifiable on chain. And the cool thing about something like a zero-knowledge proof is it can make arbitrarily nuanced statements about things that are verifiable. Tell me if this is too abstract, but this is where we started. We're like, okay, the world seems like it'll be completely different if more and more human organizations, the things that represent what credibility is, what identity is, are verifiable, and everyone can make arbitrary zero-knowledge proofs about them. The world will be completely different. So that's our North Star. I think we're also quite driven by one of these, not crypto-anarchist, crypto-libertarian, let's say, principles of cryptography being something that is a very individual empowering technology. This is oversimplified in the popular zeitgeist, but relative to AI, AI being something that feels like it's more homogenized and cryptography feels like it can create a broader plurality of voices. And so that's also where the Personi name came from. We thought, okay, well, if this is true, if all of your identifying information is verifiable by other people and you can make arbitrary statements that withhold some information, but let other information be public, you are allowed to play much richer characters online. You are no longer maybe just one persona in the future. There are many personae you play. That's the very high level, lofty, maybe a little bit too head in the clouds vision. Happy to go into more detail as well. If I were to just repeat the core ideas back to you using my understanding, it'd basically be the way that people interact online, whether it's social media or other things, it's dictated by the technologies available to us today. So used to be MySpace back in the 2000s, then it became Facebook, and then it became Instagram and Snapchat, and now it's TikTok and a few other things. Each one used different technologies, different things to make the implementations a tiny bit different. Zero knowledge stuff can change a lot of that in ways we don't predict yet. But fundamentally, they'll allow people to selectively reveal information the way they want to. So over a long enough time frame, that will have a large impact. Is that the right way to frame it? Yeah, I think the other piece is, I didn't do a great job of explaining it the first time, but something that I think is interesting about Ethereum is the first case of real common knowledge in the economics phrasing of that or use of that term on the internet is the first time where there's something that you know that other people see the same thing. 
that is endlessly recursive. I know that you know that I know that you know that we see the same state at block hash. And that seems like a very crucial substrate around which to make interesting zero-knowledge statements. If Ethereum didn't have things happening on it that are interesting, or blockchains in general, I think it's less obvious that this thing would happen or this vision is interesting. But because things have developed their new social structures, new financial structures so quickly, and it seems like it could be the beginning of an exponential on some long time scale, there's probably going to be rapid change when these two realities, zero knowledge proof being available to everyone and interesting common knowledge existing clash. The Ethereum piece of it is a game changer, obviously. And today, it honestly does not feel like crypto has really had an impact on the way that people interact online yet, or from like a social perspective, push back if you disagree. But I do think there's a lot of potential there. And I think there's a lot of untapped growth. Another little, maybe not a nit, but another comment is that I think we don't necessarily think about what we're working on as social technology and the way that people usually categorize between social or financial. Because I think one of the things that crypto has taught me, at least, is that money can be just information <laughs> or financial stuff can just be information. So for example, pay a noun is this thing where people are making pseudonymous messages about things happening in the DAO. But people could be making pseudonymous transactions that now have financial implications, but have some zero knowledge proof adding some credibility to them that the contract that interprets that transaction may want to have a conditional on. If the zero knowledge proof saying this exists, then take this path in the code. And so I think this is something that will just broadly infiltrate all human networks eventually, the convergence of these two trends. We're just very interested to see how that happens and hope to be at the forefront. You guys released this product called Heyanon and put up a governance proposal on Nouns to launch the first implementation. Can you give a quick overview of what it is and why start with Nouns? What was the motivation behind doing this? I think the naming is, again, another situation where the name is confusing. Maybe we have to get better at naming. But hey, a noun is a derivative of a previous product that exists also that we made last year called Hey Anon. In some ways, it's taking what we call the Hey Anon model and applying it to this one specific case of nouns and seeing what happens there. But I can talk about what both of these things is. It's basically just a Twitter feed or a message feed that people can post to if something interesting is true about them on chain. In this case, it's a message, Hey Anon, the nouns version, is a message feed that any nouner, anyone who has greater than or equal to one noun, anyone who has greater than or equal to two noun or a nounder can post with a different badge indicating as such that has an attached zero knowledge proof, can post a message and that message comes through on this Twitter bot. And the proof is attached. So actually, in a way, the message is context independent. That message can be sent anywhere and it doesn't need to be through Twitter or something like that. It means the same thing. The message is self-validating in this interesting way. I can speak a little bit to how that direction emerged. In thinking about this far future thing that I was mentioning earlier, this convergence of these two trends and how society might be different, all this stuff. It's like, okay, well, is this true in any small way in any places on the internet today was the next question. And so I spent some time digging around 
having been in Ethereum for a little while, I'm involved with a few different DAOs and things. And I spent some more time just looking around, seeing, all right, is there genuinely interesting conversation happening here or there? And where does it seem like there are new dynamics at play in how people communicate and correlate around shared goals? And I think I saw, this is probably a somewhat myopic perspective because I'm way less researched <laughs> than you are, but I saw two things, two polls that were interesting. One, I would say, is centered around maker conversations and the centered around nouns type conversations. Ultimately, we chose to kind of spend some more time with nouns initially because Maker felt a much higher stakes place to experiment in nouns. There's this notion of nounishness, and it's nounish to do things that are experimental and could have detrimental effects. So it felt like a better and safer place to experiment with these theses. And so after spending some time participating in nouns and just paying attention, it became pretty obvious that there were often things that had some agreement, but remained unsaid because the decision-making process is each decision, each prop is decided on at a finite amount of time. Often these things wouldn't be said. And it felt like this was an impediment in the collective decision-making. The original thought around Hayanan was maybe surfacing some of these things in the right way could make the decision-making more in line with what collectively nouners want it to be. And that's what we're trying to figure out right now. I think your point in regards to MakerDAO versus nouns, I would not recommend anyone, if they're starting in governance, whether they're, they want to just participate or launch a product or be a service provider, I would not recommend anyone start with MakerDAO. So I'm looking at the Twitter now, the Hey a Noun account, and I'm seeing for all these different proposals, there's people that are verified through CK, that they own at least one noun. They might own more, which it sounds like they can signal maybe they own a few nouns, and they're able to comment these very blunt and honest opinions to your tool. I know it's only been live for a few months, and I don't know if you yourself necessarily follow each of these comments, but have there been any things that have stood out to you or any unexpected uses of this or any major votes that have had some new controversy as a result? Feel free to take it in any direction. Hanout really has been live for... I think only a month, but a couple stand out to me. I think one somewhat recently, which actually wasn't prop specific, but seemed like it generated some interesting discussion, was this tweet about this subgroup within nouns called Nounsel, and just a comment on their voting history. I actually have met some of the folks at Nounsel, they're really wonderful people, and one result of that was this comment was brought into the Nounsel Discord and served as a starting point for, I think, quite a constructive discussion around what might be the cause of this. I think it's hard to imagine because, I mean, they are a good actor in this ecosystem. It's hard to imagine that opinion having come out by someone credible publicly just because no one wants to say something nuanced about someone who is liked. <laughs> but I think it was quite cool to see that this actually led to what I think is the start of some constructive discussion around how Nounsel should operate. Actually, one of the first posts that I thought was interesting, and some of this, it's tricky to talk about <laughs> not pseudonymously, funnily enough. Even me talking about it now, it feels a little uncomfortable because these topics are controversial. 
And I definitely don't want to seem like I'm taking sides. So it's funny, in a weird way, even talking about these posts, I wish I could be doing pseudonymously and not for my real name. But another thing that I think there was a lot of conversation around was there's another really good actor in the space, in the noun space, which is NARS. I think there was still some controversy around specifics in that proposal. And it felt like Hey and Noun ended up being a place where some questions around the specifics of the proposal came out. Continuation proposal ended up not getting passed, but I think this is another case where very beloved and honestly good actor in our community, quite hard to say something slightly controversial about that. No, it's a very interesting perspective. And I think one line you said really stuck out. You should tweet this out or frame it or something. No one wants to say something nuanced about people who are well-liked. I think about that a lot. Just identify with that so heavily, especially with recent events. In the last 12 months, we've seen multiple examples of this with people who have large, prominent microphones and influence where maybe there isn't a specific allegation or wrongdoing at the time. In some cases, there were very obvious ones, but people who had reasonable questions or pushback against these people were drowned out. And in a case like SPF, it wasn't like a secret, especially early on that Alameda and FTX were doing potentially some shady things. Like a lot of people who worked at OTC desks and large exchanges, it wasn't a secret. And not to make this an FTX podcast, we've had enough of those, but if there was a way to say some of the things that people wanted to say, but in a pseudonymous way, while still showing that the person who said it has some credibility, if that was possible, maybe it could have helped. I don't know how you would have necessarily established that credibility. It's not like nouns where you could verify that you own a noun and have that capital and have a whole involvement. But I think that's just an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, totally. I mean, these situations, also don't want to create another FTX podcast, but these situations are quite motivating for me personally. And the way I think about it is, while it's hard to see how to fit this idea to that situation today, it's maybe less hard to see that there's a future where more organizations, maybe when someone joins the organization, there's some artifact that represents that on Ethereum, or when something happens within the organization that's important, there's something that happens that represents that on some blockchain, in which case the analogy is easier to make. Let's say there's a future where the FTX five years from now, maybe part of joining that organization <laughs> involves getting some NFT or certificate that is verifiable on Ethereum. Well, that is now something you can make a zero-knowledge statement about. And so there's always a concern when looking into the future and thinking about what's possible today of being a little skeuomorphic. And so don't want to overfit to this model. I think right now we're more interested in pairing user behaviors with what are the important research problems to solve and then seeing what comes at each step. We'll see what the best product or best idea is at each step. I want to ask a bit more just about your experience going through governance. You mentioned your team did a bit of research into governance broadly and where to start with and ultimately decided on nouns. What was that experience like going through nouns governance? First of all, I think one of the main heuristics in deciding where to spend time that led us to nouns was looking for places that feel like they're somewhat pluralistic. So there actually is something interesting about the fact that it's a collective rather than seeming like it's one or two voices that effectively is setting direction. And the notion that it's a DAO 
seems to have little to do with that. And that was very strongly affirmed quickly, just spending a little bit of time. I was initially started getting involved with the DAO when there still was a Discord, which is a whole separate topic of conversation, I'm sure. It was very clear, just trolling around initially, that there are a lot of people saying things, and a lot of these things end up affecting the decision-making. And that's cool. It's honestly something that I was very impressed by. I think it's really rare to find a place where it feels like it can be like an idea meritocracy to the outside. You can come in with a good idea and work with people to make it happen, make it something the DAO does. So that property both was inspiring as someone who wanted to experiment on building something for now, but also was inspiring in terms of, okay, this is probably actually an interesting DAO if it's something that operates in a collective way. I have honestly felt extremely welcome in the DAO from day one. I think we initially put something together for Prop House, and in that way, went on a bunch of calls and talked about your ideas and what we were thinking about, ended up not making in that round, but it was very easy just by virtue of maybe patting ourselves on the back a little bit. Having some good ideas, people wanted us to stick around and were very supportive in putting together an on-chain proposal with us. I'm excited to see what we do next. It's overall been a real pleasure. The way you've described the process of getting buy-in from the community and having multiple stakeholders, it's pretty similar to beta testing the product. If you're a startup and getting your alpha client, which could be like another startup and just like going through that trial and error process of A-B testing. Totally, actually. I think that it'll be fun for someone one day to write the book on the analog of A-B testing that is working with DAOs or something. (laughs) (laughs) There's certainly some common structure there, but it also is different in other ways. But it's felt similar to a lot of having done user interview analogous type work to figure out product needs in the past. It's felt similar, but different. And it's been a lot of fun. I think the playbook is definitely getting more clear on how to work with the protocol and a DAO through governance. But to me, there's still a lot of open questions, but I've seen a lot more interesting stuff get funded and built over the past few months. And I think nouns is a big reason for that, honestly. Yeah, I'm actually curious to learn a little bit from you here. What have been the differences or like the unique learnings about building stuff for DAOs that you've sort of learned with Reverie? I would say the ability to think clearly and be comfortable, I think, with public pushback and questioning, I think is really, really important because I think wisdom of the crowds is true for certain types of decisions. But when you think of DAOs as organizations that need to execute on a certain goal. Whether you think that a startup is the right mental model or not, I think it's fair to say all DAOs have a specific goal. And I don't know if wisdom of the crowds is useful for that type of thinking. I think you have to go with what you feel is your best judgment on some of these governance decisions on how to spend funding, on which service provider to bring in, on what the roadmap should be. I don't know if those are things that your average governance participant has insight into or if they understand the most important questions. Not to say that their opinion does not matter or that they shouldn't be able to have input, but I think just always expecting some level of pushback and criticism over your work, but in a very public way, I think that's just something that we've experienced and had to get comfortable with. And I think it's good overall, though. It forces you to really distill on and make sure everything you say and do is bulletproof and 
thought through and defendable. But regardless of all, I think there's always going to be an element of putting yourselves out there. And- That's very well put. It's interesting that, well, one is it's challenging or it's not obvious or very linear to understand the common group goals relative to individual goals within something like a DAO. And then a corollary of that is that, yeah, there will almost always be pushback to things that is not necessarily the only signal to listen to. Actually, I'm reminded we recently had a hand out tweet come through, which is basically shitting on us saying like, oh man, this website sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I actually was like, oh, that's a cool use of the product, honestly. I think that in a weird way, it's cool that we enabled that, but like also this is to be expected. If you're saying to get very <laughs> like web two and kind of boring, there was a thought once that the goal is to grassroots build a customer base, just get people to love the thing inside the organization. And there's like some uniform notion of love. And for a DAO, this feels less the case. And so there's this extra mental gymnastic to reason about, okay, based on all the things we're seeing and thinking about, what are the goals of the collective and how do we serve that? So yeah, certainly a new challenge. I think the most important part of it is just understanding that people's goals for the collective are all different for nouns. I'm not going to get too deep into the different sex, like religious sex almost, but there's the DeFi crowd, there's the NFT purists crowd. You could run nouns as a startup. You could run it as a public goods type organization. You could think of it as a incubation platform. There's lots of mental models for it. And depending on how you feel about that, you'll have different levels of willingness to spend money, fund new things, bring in new people. I think it's a little more clear for other categories of DAOs like DeFi, where it's like, okay, this is not too dissimilar from a startup. It's probably closer to a standard startup than something like Nouns, which could think as a little more different. But even within a DeFi protocol, there's many different visions and potential ways of execution. And that's where the fun is. That's where the challenge is. Going further on, hey, and now I'm assuming there isn't a step-by-step plan for the next few years ready for this thing. What do you think is possible from here? What are some of the things you guys are keeping an open mind to in terms of this product? We have a structured process around we're making changes. We have some near-term features. We have some long-term features and some broader product ideation. One thing I did want to talk about was the interaction between product and research, how quickly research has moved. And I think that contextualizes a little bit why we're thinking a little long-term. I'm curious, how would you like to talk about that? Maybe just talk about what the intersection between research and project is and how one informs the other and the feedback cycles. We have this almost irreverently simple little diagram in that first blog post that links building cooler apps with creating better technology. And it's a little flippant, but there's some profundity in that as our operating philosophy. So one of the things that we observed pretty early on, and part of this is seeing the evolution of consumer-grade CK over the last three or four years, is that things are improving very, very quickly. And it's usually a function of applying the right attention to the right problem. Abstractly, I was trying to make some CK web apps back in 2018, 2019, and let's say 2018 mostly. And we can do things three or four orders of magnitude more efficiently. Well, last year I observed this. Last year I was like, okay, wow, it's like we're three or four orders of magnitude faster in making the same types of proofs in a web browser. A lot of this was a function of 
something like the Dark Forest, which I'm sure many of the listeners will have heard about, is this amazing ZK game that sparked a lot of imaginations and created a target that these are technologies worth working on. And so we were like, okay, well, if that happened that quickly, we can look at the technology landscape today and make a decision about what the best product to build. But it feels much bigger and higher leverage to move the technology cost curve down itself as we built the best products over time. And we've actually seen this bear out in the last year, not even like the last few months. I think one year ago, so this is a little technical, but I'll try to spare the details, but we have to do some pretty hairy things one year ago. And our first, when we were initially making zero knowledge proofs about Ethereum signatures because of the elliptic curve that is used in Ethereum signatures. I won't go into too much more detail than that. One year ago, we didn't think we could actually ever do this in a web browser. A few months later, I think motivated just by wanting to do something like Hey Anon, the thing before nouns, we made it work, but it was like, okay, it takes five or six minutes and it sometimes crashes your web browser. And then to today where as a function of sub-organizations within Personi interoperating, the nouns proofs take like 10, 20 seconds and are very reliable. And we have a path to figure out how to make that seconds now. And so it's just so obviously high leverage to have these groups working together because if we snapshotted at the middle of last year, what's the coolest product we can build with this technology and just went all in on building that product and didn't think too much about improving the technology, we would have made something considerably less interesting that we can make today which is we can now do something where it's people are making proofs in seconds in a web browser versus something that probably you have to wait many minutes to do the thing. It's like the difference between being able to work on email versus TikTok or something like that. It feels like things can move that fast if we are a nexus for both those types of people, the people who understand products, understand governance, understand user behavior and want to build things for people and the people who can solve the really hard technical problems because you know what technical problem to solve when you see what products are being used. And you can build way better, more interesting things if there's a way better technical landscape. So all that is to say, our plans with Hanown, I think the form factor of Hanown was sort of informed by the technical landscape three or four months ago. And as things improve, we may shift form factors. But as of today, it's quite clear there's like this very beginnings of something interesting here. And to sort of fuel that engine of technology and product, I think most of how we think about what we want to do with Hanon is create more interesting user behavior that is useful, that gives us something to study to figure out what to do next. And so there are a few different dimensions on which we are thinking about augmentations, additions, and things like this. One is right now you can make statements about being a nouner at a specific prop snapshotted to that prop. And that has some kind of meaning. That predicate of Ethereum state has some kind of meaning. A lot of people requested the feature, well, we just want to make general statements as nouners. Actually, I'm hacking on this today. So hopefully this will be out soon for all those listening and waiting for this feature. But then more generally, maybe there's more nuanced groups that are relevant to making a statement at a point in time. Maybe you want to make a statement as someone who voted yes, or voted anti-consensus on X percent of proposals or something like that while still hiding your identity. That's one very interesting area of exploration is we call them anonymity sets. This is just 
the term that is used by a lot of ZK app developers, but what are the interesting predicates of past noun state that could uncover new things that people have to say that are interesting and important for decision-making for the DAO? The other primary dimension is, which actually, funnily enough, we may not need to work on ourselves, is figuring out where else <laughs> these messages should be going. Because as I said before, like the message is context independent because it's a message with a proof that the message means something. And so Twitter is a great place because it's very visible, but the messages can be shuttled into every place that an important nounish conversation is happening. And so maybe that looks like Discord or Telegram bots that shuttle messages into the various places people have conversations that are relevant to nouns and maybe want these signals. With that comes, maybe you want the option to filter to the messages about certain props or messages about certain predicates. All of that starts getting much more granular, but these are, I think, the two dimensions that are top of mind for me right now with expanding Hey Noun as we think of it today. And again, the goal is primarily how do we bring out more opinions that are truly held but are hard to say otherwise. And then I think there's the other more blue sky thinking of, okay, well, we built Hey Noun assuming users could only make a post every tens of seconds. What happens when people can make proofs and interactions in seconds or milliseconds? Maybe there's a next level of product to consider. And so that I have less to say about today because it's <laughs> we're still brainstorming and thinking, but that's the other dimension. I think we would love to push the limits and see if there's something further we can do. Super interesting. And I think the way you frame is there's different types of anonymity sets that people can use. Ownership of something is the most obvious that comes to mind. Do I own an NFT? Yes, no. But you could see it being applied to many different groups and demographics. And that's very obvious where I think there's a lot of short-term innovation that could go. This is a little bit of a tangent. I feel like you would have a good understanding. I just wanted to dive into like zero knowledge stuff a little bit, but specifically not on the technicals. There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of academic presentations and even podcasts where people explain zero knowledge technology in depth. But I think what's perhaps less well covered is the context around zero knowledge as a technology, where we're at in its adoption cycle, sort of like the meta of ZK, if that makes sense. Who's leading this field? Is it academic? Is it commercial? Is it research organizations? Where we're at its adoption curve? And those questions that I think any non-technical person can sort of understand and grasp. Curious if you have any initial reaction to some of those questions. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts here. I think very quickly, zero knowledge cryptography has become something like a buzzword that I think means a lot of different things to different people. The most obvious split, which is very important to lay out, is that when people say zero knowledge proof in the broader crypto ecosystem, they're actually probably talking about one of two things. One is cryptography that allows for very succinct proofs of some set of things that actually don't care about the property technically called zero knowledge. And the other is a zero, the thing called a zero knowledge proof, which is basically being able to prove something about something that is true without revealing all of the information. The former is, I think, Unfortunately, we landed on ZK Rollups as the name for 
the things that use this cryptography to do this thing. And I'm happy to see that more and more people are changing the way they talk about things. People say sometimes proof-based rollups or validity-based rollups, because they're basically two properties of the same piece of cryptography. One is that you can turn an arbitrary computational statement or an arbitrary statement into a fixed size piece of data that is verifiable in a fixed amount of time, which is really cool for scaling blockchains. Ideally, you have both, but the other property is that you can make these statements that maybe they're not fixed size, maybe they're order log n size or something, but they withhold certain information while making some credible statement. There's a lot of commonality in these technologies, but I think the development or the meta of these is a little decoupled. For example, I think because it's very obvious that the succinctness compression property of these things we call zero-knowledge proof is extremely lucrative because we know that compression is valuable for blockchains. If you increase economic throughput, there is money somewhere. Maybe this is a somewhat cynical take, but because it's very obvious this is true, there is massive amount of capital concentrated on solving those problems. The problems are much easier to motivate. I think whereas the zero-knowledge property, which is something we study much more, it's a little less obvious. It's things like these pseudonymous conversation around something that's going on that it's a little bit less linear of a path to understanding why this is valuable. And I think over time, actually, there will be techniques that are better for this property that don't have all of the other property. There will be techniques in the middle, and then there will be techniques that I think you don't actually have to give up much to add zero knowledge to your system, but it's the zero knowledge property, the pseudonymity property. But it's not inconceivable that eventually there are techniques that people are just using for the succinctness property. That wasn't the most structured path through. We can revisit that a few times, but I don't know if that made sense or not. I think it was a helpful breakdown and does provide context, I think, for some other questions as well, which is however you want to answer it. You mentioned, I think there's a few different definitions of quote unquote zero knowledge, but when you think of adoption curves and where we're at, where do you think zero knowledge is? What's your personal mental model of this? This is a helpful question for me to realign on as well. Which decade of Web 2 are we in is actually quite a useful, motivating question. I think if I had to place it, it is probably different for the compression property of zero knowledge and the pseudonymity property. But we are probably in early 90s for both. I could see the compression piece. I suppose it depends where we place something like Ethereum on the adoption curve. I could see zero knowledge as a compression mechanism being at a similar point in the adoption life cycle as crypto in general, just because it is directly, obviously useful there. Zero knowledge for pseudonymity, I would say I see a path now where we can do something interesting and uniquely enabled by zero-knowledge proofs for NounsDAO. But NounsDAO probably feels like a really early internet bulletin board community or something like that. And it's like, okay, so some of these mechanics matter, but it's like a small number of people. You know, literally now it's hundreds of people. I think we're probably <laughs> early 90s, very vaguely, but... It's hard to say. I mean, there's two pieces. One is technological capability. The other is broadly adoption, I guess, in deciding where we are in the adoption life cycle. And maybe this is a function of being a strong optimist. I feel like the technology is surprisingly ready, having now pushed on one tiny dimension of this broader zero-knowledge picture and seen 
crazy results in just a year. I think we've improved something two orders of magnitude. It somehow feels like something crazy is going to happen this next decade. But then, yeah, like the question around how a technology propagates through society is a bit more opaque to me. It's a very fascinating one, but I can't claim to make a really smart statement about that. Totally fine. I think it's an interesting thought experiment, but there's no right or wrong answer. For someone like yourself, it's focus on the technology as much as possible and the actual adoption path you can obviously influence, but that's TBD basically. I think actually it very much tracks the rise of what we call the cryptographic social networks like Ethereum or they're also less traditional ones or like I guess more traditional. Most mail servers sign the email they send out and so you can make interesting zero-knowledge statements about that. But basically the more social interactions that exist cryptographically, the relationship of the kinds of things that we specifically think about, the point on the technology adoption lifecycle or the potential point of the technology adoption lifecycle for those products very closely tracks, I think, how many social interactions people have online or in economic or financial interactions or whatever other type of network interactions people have online with other people that have some cryptography associated with it, because then you can make a zero knowledge proof about it. From an adoption perspective, I think I'll amend my previous statement. I think both types of zero knowledge proof adoption from like a potential usage perspective, I think track quite closely the rate of adoption of these decentralized protocols, peer-to-peer protocols and cryptographic protocols. They're very related. If everyone on the internet or like 70% of the average person's time on the internet was spent doing things that had nouns like entities implicit or Ethereum states implicit in some way, then a lot of the things they say and do could probably be enhanced in the expressiveness if they could add zero-knowledge proofs about that stuff to those statements. I think we sort of piggyback on that broader trend, hopefully. And a bit of a subjective question. Let's assume the listener is someone that works in crypto or is a hobbyist. If they were to ask, what are the three to five places or projects or organizations Aside from you guys, obviously, to track interesting and upcoming zero-knowledge technology, where would you push them? What would you recommend? I guess I'll talk more about applied ZK than, say, like roll-up or infrastructure ZK, because I think the two are different, and I'm definitely more in the former. The answers are quite simple. I'm obviously biased because I do have relationships with both of these organizations, so take with a grain of salt, but I think they both do a remarkable job of education and everyone is very helpful. I would say Xerox Park, which is applied CK, R&D, and future autonomous world gaming lab. And the Ethereum Foundation has a privacy and scaling explorations group, which thinks about a lot of the same stuff we do. We like them a lot and we enjoy spending time with them, but they also produce a lot of really great educational content. For someone who actually wants to build stuff, I will actually put myself out there and I take <laughs> like evangelism education stuff quite seriously. And I think it's actually a lot easier to be able to do stuff with zero knowledge than people think if you are a pretty solid developer and feel free to DM me on Twitter and I will help you ramp up and I will answer your questions. But if you want something a little bit more asynchronous or you're a little shy, there's this great resource, learn.zerxpark.org that has a bunch of introductory lectures for building stuff with ZK. Those are the places I start. And I'm personally more than happy to help. You can also jump into Personality Labs Discord and ask questions. 
We try to be friendly. We just want to build cool stuff. So more than happy to engage. You won't be mean to people that DM you? <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I sometimes don't look at my DMs for a day just because I need to do something. I may not respond immediately, but I strive to respond to every DM. I'm just excited to talk to more people who are curious about this stuff. A day is pretty good. If you can say a day and stick to that, that's better than 95% of people with their messages. Lakshman, really appreciate you coming on today to talk about a few different topics from Persona Labs and your guys' general thesis and worldview, but also the specific stuff you guys have done on the research side and also with Hey Anon. I think, again, up till now in this podcast, we've mostly talked about DAOs from the, I think, social and economic lens, unless so on the pure tech. But I think you guys are doing some really interesting stuff and excited to follow your work and stay up to date on what you guys are all doing. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Love this podcast. So great to have a conversation here.